everything's good. Okay. Cool beans. All right. Welcome to Triple Feature, a podcast for cinephiles. My name is Emma. I'm Freddie. And I'm Seabear. <laughs> All right. So we come to you with a premiere of our podcast. We got three friends who live in two different cities. Freddie and I live in Detroit, and Connor is all the way over in Chicago. Um, so, Chi City. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Chi Town. Um, D Town and Chi Town. Yeah. So, yeah, we are um, coming together and we talk about movies with each other over text message sometimes and we decided that it needed to be something that we share with other people so that's what we are doing um connor will you get into um what we're going to be doing on triple feature and why it's called triple feature yeah so triple feature was something that i thought of of to basically bring everything together of how we're three friends and each month there will be a theme that we go over and each person will bring a movie based on the theme and in the end we'll decide if it makes a good triple feature there's been a double feature but i don't really see people talk about triple features and with the months it could be things like uh like for instance we're probably going to be doing spooky month October and then there could be Christmas or it could also be something like DC month DC comics month and the the theme of it is just trying to find different themes and things in those months and the movies that we pick to see if it does make for a pretty good back-to-back marathon of a triple feature of everything that's going on right so there are three of us Therefore, there will be three movies each month where each one of us picks a film to discuss each week. Um, we won't be discussing yeah. a specific film this week. And so week. With, with that, like pretty, pretty much of just like any, any movie can go as long as it fits the theme. Um, there could be some wild cards of movies of just either barely making it into the theme or just something where like... You might not think that it works, but it technically does if the person has a good argument for it. And so, yeah, it should be a lot of fun hearing about movies and hopefully expanding our our broad strokes of movies and everything. Very good. Um, as well, you know, there are four weeks in a month. Uh, so so there will be kind of like a odd month out. Um, and that month we will be using to not just uh, kind of talk about the three films together and if they make a good triple feature or how the themes connect with each other, but also um, talk about new releases. So Freddie's going to talk about that. Um, so for the last podcast of the month where we're kind of overviewing our choices and how good of a triple feature they make, well, we'll be talking about one movie specifically that has recently come out and that'll kind of be the I guess like that's where we can fit our extra our extra takes outside of the actual theme for the month talk about um, 
topics that are more relevant to like the current world of film. Um, I guess what sort of trends we see, what movies we like, what directors we like that we see putting out movies recently. Um, That's pretty good. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So I hope you are interested in listening to us talk about movies. Um, To get to know us a little bit better, I think we are going to share with you a little bit about our taste in film because um, while the three of us do talk about movies a lot. We have similar tastes, but we also don't have similar tastes. So um, we're each going to talk about our Letterboxd four favorites. If you don't know anything about Letterboxd, it is a basically a social media um, kind of like Goodreads for movies, except it's way better than Goodreads. And uh, it's a place where you can log the movies that you watch and you can make, you know, write reviews and you can make lists and you can like other people's reviews. But uh, a feature of Letterboxd is everybody's profile has their four favorite films and it's kind of become a trend. Um, I think, I, you know, if you listen to the Letterboxd podcast, they have guests on to talk about their four favorites. And so that's what we're going to be doing a little bit today so you can get to know our taste a little bit. Um, But I think everybody uses their four favorites differently. So, um, Connor, tell us how you use your four favorites. Yeah, on Letterboxd, I, I love to use it. I love to see the number go up every time I log in a movie. Um, but with the four favorites, I normally, when I first started, I actually put my actual top four favorites. And then after a while, I just started to champion underdog movies, in my opinion, that don't get as much love or favorites that I also love and, and everything. And so I, I try to switch those in. But then sometimes on certain months, like in October, I switch it up to just horror movies or around December, just Christmas movies. And it's just trying to show when people see my account, like what, what movies I do love. Cause it is hard to just narrow it down to four films. Yes. Um, Freddie, how do you use your four favorites? Um, so my four favorites on Letterboxd are usually, uh, it's kind of like an all-time thing for me. So I pick like, it, it really doesn't change that much. It's changed very recently, but <laughs> that's because I saw a movie that I was like, well, I think this is going to be top four. Okay. But in general, it's my top four all-time. Okay. So as far as I go, um, my four favorites do kind of shift sometimes. Um, I don't use it as an all-time because I think that's too hard. Um, I use it as a way to kind of profile myself as a cinephile. And it tells kind of tells a story of not just my taste, but like, um, you know, how old I am and where I came from and... Um, those kinds of things. And so sometimes I do switch it up. I think at the end of the year around, um, you know, Oscar season, I will use my four favorites to profile 
my top four from the previous year because I do like to keep up with new releases. Um, but right now, um, it's more just like a profile of kind of like who I am. So, um, so what we're going to do now is talk about our four favorites. We're, we're going to go one at a time, starting with Connor. What is your first four favorite? My first favorite film is not a shock to people that know me, and it is Scott Pilgrim versus the World. <laughs> it's a good uh, one. Yeah. I love this movie. It is a movie that came to me at the right point in my life, and it is just my whole personality. <laughs> um, <laughs> most people know that. It's my number one movie because it's probably the most movie I've seen the most times. I've love it and i can't get enough of of it it's it's great it's in my mind the perfect movie yeah and i know we're all really excited for the scott pilgrim animated series um oh, yeah. with the original cast coming back <laughs> we're very excited about that um i know freddie and i are both also big fans of scott pilgrim yes i'm sure that's going to be talked about on, on this podcast, I'm sure we're going to talk about that. <laughs> yeah, we're going to have to have oh, a yeah. Scott Pilgrim episode Oh, yeah, I, I, I think yeah. it most likely will just because I will just make it be talked about. <laughs> uh, I, I am super excited for it, only because yeah. of the fact that it is Brian Lee O'Malley, like, co-wrote it with another screenwriter, uh, Ben Davis, and they are basically just doing the actual book run. So I'm hoping that we actually get more of... Yeah. We, we actually get to see more of the expanded parts of Scott Pilgrim, but also tackle the complaints that the people have with the movie, which is how fast the movie goes, because it's a movie, versus now we actually get <laughs> six episodes or so to actually see Scott grow as a person. And so, right. yeah, it should be, it should be great. Right. Yeah. Okay. Um, I am a, well, I am a former educator. I used to teach film study to high schoolers. And uh, I showed Scott Pilgrim versus uh, the world in that class. And for the most part, they love it. But the big complaint that I hear is it's too fast paced. It's hard to uh, keep track of. And, uh, you know, it's one of those things that just takes a rewatch. So we're going to we're going to spend some more time talking about that um, when we get an episode, I think. Oh, it, it'll, it'll probably well, let's just say it'll, it'll get an episode all right, <laughs> right Freddie showing me um, your first of oh. your four faves okay so my first of my four favorites on Letterboxd is The Iron Giant <sighs> um, <laughs> oh my god and as you can tell we really like movies <laughs> yeah so for me um I picked the Iron Giant because, I guess, a, a couple of reasons. The first one is, it was my favorite movie when I was a kid, and I feel like it has, like, shaped me in a way, mm-hmm. um, legitimately. <laughs> so it had like a very big impact on me. I think it's a great movie that's geared towards kids, but doesn't treat kids like kids it it addresses like some pretty heavy like mm-hmm. emotions and you um it's it's wholesome it's yeah. so great it's brad bird like oh yeah just peaking 
Um, it's funny. I cry every time. It makes you cry like a baby. <laughs> yeah, I cry so much. <laughs> if you don't cry at the end of Iron Giant, I don't yeah, no, think like super, we trust you. Yeah, I, I love the yeah, Iron Giant it's as suspicious. well. suspicious. <laughs> I don't know if y'all watched Ted Lasso. <laughs> I watched Ted Lasso, and um, th- he makes the soccer team watch that movie. And, uh, of course, at the end, they're all just, like, bawling. <laughs> these, like, these like um, million-dollar athletes are just, like, in puddles. And it's just like, yeah, that's, that's what that movie is. <laughs> yeah, that's what it does. That's what it does. It's so good. Yeah. <laughs> all right. I will go now with my first of my four faves. Um, so this first film is probably an all-time for me it's probably the number one movie for me it is damien chazelle's whiplash that is my number one film on my four favorites and it's on there because i feel like it does kind of just like tell it's the first one it tells um it tells something about me which is just um that that is peak cinema to me like the way that it's crafted and the way that it's written and the performances make like the first time I watched Whiplash I was on the edge of my seat the entire time it is incredibly uh engaging and uh captivating and I just think that's a a testament to the filmmaker as Damien Chazelle's first film, um, which he later went on to make La La Land and um, Babylon, which I love, and of course, First Man. But yeah, yeah. never forget that movie. Yeah. (laughs) But like Whiplash is just incredible. Um, And I don't, you know, I, I watched it in 2014 when it came out, and I don't think I've seen a better movie since. So I. It's kind of like the standard that I kind of like compare other movies to, especially movies with yeah. that genre, like, you know, a thriller, you know, high octane drama. So, yeah, that's my first on yeah. my four faves. Yes. Whiplash is... Chazelle, yeah. Oh, you're going to say <laughs> something? Go. Okay. I was going to say Whiplash, Whiplash is, I think it is like a modern classic yeah. for sure. Like it's come out. I don't even people even people that don't like aren't like really obsessed with Whiplash. I mean, how how are you supposed to look at Whiplash and say that it's just a bad movie? Yeah, like you can't. It's it's <laughs> like so well crafted. I mean, you, even if you don't like the story, it's like it's it's just impressive. It's very impressive. Like yeah, <laughs> it's so good. I love Whiplash. <laughs> Alrighty. Yeah. Uh, yes, yeah, you're up. Yeah, just to well bounce off of the the Damien Chazelle love. Like Chazelle yeah. is probably like my favorite director yeah. now, like modern yeah. director. He's like he's up his there for run me. of Top movies. Five. Yeah, yeah, like his run of movies are just so good. Like with Whiplash, yeah, he being his missed. directorial debut, <laughs> and then La La Land and like First Man. Like me and Freddie saw First Man in theaters, and mm. it was awesome. And then even Babylon, like it's yeah. like. This dude is always on my radar. Every time mm-hmm. I hear he's making a movie, I'm like, I, I have cannot to wait. So, yeah. Yes. Yeah. I will be seated for every Damien Chazelle movie ever because he has not missed once. Yeah. Come at me. <laughs> <laughs> for my second movie, 
Uh, I have uh, Christopher Nolan's The Prestige. Uh, The Prestige is what I would describe as the movie that made me love movies. Mm. Uh, It is a movie that my dad rented from probably Blockbuster at the time. And I remember us watching it because as a kid, I love magic. I still love magic. I love (laughs) magicians. I love magic shows. Like it, it blows my mind every time when they do tricks. And to have a movie that is all about that and the movie is pretty much a magic trick was it was insane and the ending and twist ending that happens i remember looking to my dad and saying how much time do we have to rent this and he said you know the rest of the week and i watched it probably four times in that time because <laughs> i wanted to understand and like really know like what nolan was doing with the camera and just like everything and get the twist like to see like the the hints and everything before mm-hmm. and it's just a masterful piece of work in, mm-hmm. in my mind of just, yeah, like it's it's what made me become a cinephile and made me go, oh, movies can be like extraordinary. Yeah. I just want to add, like, I think Christopher Nolan is like the best director for like baby cinephiles because I felt the same. <laughs> like when you were talking about, you know, watching The Prestige when you were younger, like that's exactly how I was introduced to Christopher Nolan and to this day The Prestige is my second favorite Christopher Nolan film I think it is so well made to this day so I agree with you I think that um, I still like Christopher Nolan a lot I don't want to discredit anybody who Christopher Nolan is their favorite (laughs) filmmaker but um, I do think that like you know we all kind of like have I, I, I he's He's great because he introduced a lot of people to like actual cinema and not just like, you know, these blockbuster. He he made the blockbuster movies look really good. And I think that he made a lot of people interested in looking at other things. And so I think he's that's why I say it, like he's a great person for baby cinephiles. Oh, yes. Yeah. It's like I, a, I agree. It's like an introduction to thinking about movies more than just this is the story that was presented to me and I don't care about like how it was presented mm-hmm. or how it looks. It's just like, oh, when I talk about movies, I just straight up say like the plot mm-hmm. outright. I think Christopher Nolan's a good there's a deeper... director for like getting people to be like, oh, there's, there's, there's like a whole language to this outside mm-hmm. of just what this story is. Yeah. 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 So that's a good Christopher Nolan pick. I love it. Um, so for me, my, my second of my top four on Letterboxd is, here it comes. Oh no. Speed Racer. Speed Racer. Speed Let's, Racer. There it go. is. Let's go. It's all, it's all. Go Speed, speed Go. Um, if. More like a ninja. More like a ninja. <laughs> so Speed Racer is like the Iron Giant and Speed Racer are, are admittedly like pretty back and forth as my number one movie um i just adore speed racer i mean there's like no other way to put it i think it is one of the most visually creative movies i've seen the wachowskis took like every single convention for visual storytelling and just were like fuck it we're gonna do whatever (laughs) we want and it's it is the best it's the best live action anime don't at me um (laughs) Because it is, it's it's the the style is concise, 
the story is super super anti-capitalist it's it's a gem it's a gem um and uh it's super underrated it came out everybody thought it was weird and they're like oh this is Gross. It was ahead of its time. I don't like it. Another. And then, like, three years later, that was the <laughs> style that people thought was really cool. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Go watch the Wachowskis are always, <laughs> the Wachowskis Wachowskis, are always, like, ahead of the curve. Yeah. Definitely. I didn't even know about this movie um, until I was teaching The Matrix in my film study class. And I was going through, because in my, in my studies, I like to talk about the directors and I like to talk about their other work. And so that's when I first realized that they had directed Speed Racer and um, I still hadn't watched it until this year. I watched it with Freddie and our partners, Cameron and Faith, and we had a little movie night. Fun fact, Freddie and I are neighbors. Um, and <laughs> so we uh, had a little movie night and I watched it for the first time and I was blown away by the visuals some of the most creative um, shots and action sequences that I've ever seen. It was just honestly a lot of fun. It was so fun. Um, I, I really had a good time. It is. It is the fastest two and a half hour movie yeah. you'll ever watch. <laughs> um, oh, yeah. Two and a half hours seems like a lot. And then all of a sudden you're at the end of the movie. And you're like, what happened? What? <laughs> when, when, did we, when did we get two hours into this movie? I yeah. thought we were like 45 minutes in. Right. It's, it's great. It's got it's got varied, like it's it's like a sports movie kind of. It's a fictional sport movie. It's like this crazy. Auto it follows sport. the sports movie like formula. Yeah. yeah. So it has like each. There's like you have like your three main races, and each one has a different purpose yeah. <laughs> and style. Like your first one, your first race is your introduction to all the characters, and it has a bunch of, like quintessential anime backstory like ellipses (laughs) and then you have your middle race which is like a completely different type of race but it's also the the rebellious phase and then you have your your final race which is like the the championship yeah 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 you gotta you gotta have like the build-up to like yeah yeah you gotta have yeah it's the underdog yeah it's the underdog story it's It's like rudy you know yeah Yeah. but it's but it's just cool it's way cooler than rudy it's badass (laughs) yeah it it just honestly like i always give the example of speed racer when i have this film idea warner brothers if you're listening you're wasting your time of doing a movie where it's quidditch for harry potter but it's a (laughs) like realistic sports movie yeah it can still be set in the universe but like make a sports movie but just quidditch and i also said the same thing about star wars with pod racing like imagine speed racer but it's pod racing right for star wars yeah and it has nothing to do with like any of the other characters and stuff but it's still in that universe because like you have right. this huge expansive universe and you're just not doing anything with it especially yeah. those like gimmies that would be cool if you have a director that's like 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 a noah bomb that made gran turismo is like yo <laughs> i can make a cool sports movie right. <laughs> like yeah like what are we doing here so what we're getting is Connor said uh stop making fantastic beast movies please please and uh, oh, make yes, a quidditch <laughs> make a quidditch sports make movie make a quidditch sports movie yeah. let's make it happen 
There is like lore so cool. in the Harry Potter novels about the longest Quidditch game ever. Yeah. Which was like 400 days or something. Let's get that on a movie, please. The 400 day yes. Quidditch game. Or just the like. The 400 day Quidditch game. What what movie was it where like you actually see like the Quidditch like World Cup or whatever? Yeah, that's like, the Goblet like, of that's Fire. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah like, and it was fun. Yeah, like like that's why the Goblet like, of Fire like, is the oh, best Harry Potter that's like, movie. That's that's what like, makes most, that one for sure. Yeah, because like most of the Harry Potter movies, it's like they want to go to the school because they want to be wizards. But what if it was like actually college where you have kids that are just going for Quidditch? No, <laughs> like, like the whole they, the whole Triwizard yeah. Tournament is like one of the best stories and I, that's what makes the Goblet of Fire the best Harry Potter movie in my opinion yeah well it's really Prisoner of Azkaban but we don't need to get into it um is it my turn yes okay okay um my second letterboxed four favorites is in line with um Freddy's Iron Giant pick which is a childhood movie not necessarily coming out when I was a child, but it's something that I watched as a child over and over and over and over and over again. Um, it's literally made for me uh, because I am a dog lover. I love dogs a lot. And it is something that I continuously watch every year around Christmas time. And it is my favorite animated film, and it is my favorite Disney movie. It is 101 Dalmatians. That is my favorite Disney film, my favorite animated film, and I still watch it to this day uh, around Christmas time because there is, like, this holiday aspect to it, and it just warms my heart. Um, The puppies are just cute. They're cute as shit. They're so cute. I will just, like... Um, quote uh, these little like these little quips that they have like hee hee we're gonna fool the old mad lady because you know Cruella she's the best villain ever um, and I I often watch this as a child with my family and so we kind of like talk about these things we, we kind of like quote these lines often with each other so it's kind of just something that has stuck with me and I think it kind of tells you a little bit about like not my childhood because I wasn't born in the 60s, but <laughs> but it's something that like, well, you know, it was my yeah. Alice in Wonderland or it was my, you know, um, Sleeping Beauty or whatever. Yeah. Those old classics. It's my favorite Disney classic. So well, I don't I know if y'all like have seen it. I just everyone had the VHS tapes. Like, like yeah. Yeah. you know, out, out, our, out our parents, everyone had the classic <laughs> re, reissued of every Disney movie ever. Yeah. Because I had I had 101 Dalmatians. I had all of them all the princess movies and stuff so yes and then when you know when i was a child the the glenn close live action version came out and i was also pretty obsessed with that oh yeah it was really good (laughs) see that's now we're talking now that's the one that i I... now that's what i call kino Yeah. Um, it's it's yeah that's the one i remember watching a lot i i had that vhs a lot too and then and then I think 102 Dalmatians. Oh yes, I also saw that with the the little the little spotless dog. Yes, I yeah. I watched all of those. Like I said, my favorite Disney franchise ever is 101 Dalmatians. I used to have a Dalmatian collection when I was a kid. Like I had my bedspread was Dalmatians. I had pillows. I had a little like set of cars that were like Dalmatian print. Um, Did you watch the new uh, series on Disney Channel? 
the series. Yeah, so like Disney always once in a while, you know, brings back something and things, or they take a franchise that should get another movie or something and turn it into a series, i.e. Big Hero 6, where's yeah, the yeah, movie? Yeah. Um, but <laughs> I digress with that. They, they did come out, like, I think like four years ago or something. It's still probably on Disney. It might be on Disney Plus now, but there there was a new show of 101 Dalmatians. Oh, I need to I need to pick that up because I, I mean, I'm not really like, I'm not shilling for Disney, you know? So I, yeah. Uh... <laughs> yeah, it's called 101 Dalmatian Street. Oh, okay. So, I watched series. all of those. Like when I was little, I used to watch all of those like um, straight yeah. to VHS, like yeah. Scout's Big Adventure. Like it was, um, it it was an obsession of mine. So yeah, that might but be also, something I need to revisit. Yeah. Also, also the Corella movie. Uh, I, do, Emma Stone I, did, pretty, I did love good. the Emma Stone Corella movie. <laughs> I thought it was great. Because Corella is like the most interesting, I think, Disney villain like she's she's not only is she a woman which was very rare but like she was like super fashionable and she was like this kind of like glam villain and like the the smoke and like she just was like cool but uh you also really love to hate her yeah true so but that, I think you don't. That makes you don't like people. You don't want. You don't want to like people that wants to kill puppies. Yeah. Right. Like that's the worst person alive. Uh, yeah. Now for. <laughs> now for my th- third pick. My yes. fourth. Uh, third favorite. Uh, my third go. favorite is also not a shock to most people that know me. Uh, <laughs> it is Christopher Nolan's The Dark Knight. <laughs> wow. You're telling me you have the two Dark- Christopher Nolan in your four faves. Listen, he's the Christopher Nolan top... fan we were talking about. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, this these top fours are basically like what makes me me. Uh, yeah. Like anybody, because like with Scott Pilgrim, like it is my whole personality. The Prestige is what made me get into movies, and now The Dark Knight is like Batman is my favorite superhero, and Batman has just always been a part of my life. And with when The Dark Knight came out, it just took over like everything about me. Like, I love this movie. It was the first movie I bought on iTunes for my iPod. <laughs> like, and the only movie for the longest time. Uh, it is a movie that I constantly rewatch. I can't get enough of it. The performances, everything. It is quintessential Batman for me. And yeah, like, I, like, and then being in Chicago where we have Gurney, which is where Six Flags is, like, there is the Dark Knight uh, ride. Most people that have gone there know that that ride sucks, but I love it because it's the Dark Knight. <laughs> um, and they also got Aaron Eckhart to do a pre-show for it, and it's the first time that like Six Flags like has tried to like combat Disney like that, where like they actually have like a pre-show and like like a real like story behind the ride, and it's it's so good. Like everything about the Dark Knight is so good, and every time I watch it and every time I learn more about it, I just love it even more like yeah it's great um the dark knight is great it is definitely um was an obsession of mine for a long time also but to your batman point i love the dark knight trilogy but i am 
well, well, truly, Christopher Nolan made a mistake, I think, because he cast Christian Bale as Batman. And Christian Bale okay. is, is fine, and I think he's awesome. But he also cast Killian Murphy as Scarecrow, Heath Ledger as the Joker, mm-hmm. and Tom Hardy as Bane. And yeah. I, it's hard to cheer. It's hard to root for Bruce Wayne and Batman when he is opposite. Killian Murphy, oh, <laughs> Heath Ledger, <laughs> and Tom Hardy. Yeah. Yeah, no, because I, I, because well, I am, I am pro me, Scarecrow, pro Joker, was, and pro uh, Bane. <laughs> yeah. Like, like pro- Joker is probably the best like villain. Well, it makes Joker me very anti Batman. Yeah. I, I do. I do think two, the the Dark Knight with Two Face is amazing like what they did because pretty much the dark knight is their take on the long halloween uh comic storyline which is also a very good comic i know i read it and (laughs) i owned it actually it's crazy but i i thought you were gonna say his biggest mistake was casting katie holmes (laughs) oh no i i I don't i don't think about it that's not something that and and i and i also think (laughs) katie holmes's big mistake I think it's Katie Holmes's big mistake for not doing The Dark Knight because yeah. she was like, I'm going to do this other movie called uh, Money Heist with Queen Latifah. Yeah. And who's laughing now yeah. in the bank of just like how much Maggie money those movies Maggie Gyllenhaal make. is laughing now. Yeah. yeah. I think I think The Dark Knight is... Um, I think The Dark Knight is like a watershed moment for superhero movies, for sure. Yeah. I think I don't think yeah. that I think that's pretty well discussed, but just like in general, like it's it's a movie well, it's crazy. It's a superhero movie directed by a really competent film director and like taking it on from that perspective, not just being like, Well, I'm making a superhero movie, this can be super kitschy, I'm kinda like whatever about it. Yeah. It was like, No, I want this to be a very serious movie like i want this to be i want this to be looked at as like a film more than just like it's almost like a comic movie it's almost like noir in a way like it's very competent but like i do think the dark knight did for superhero films going forward what maybe the matrix did for sci-fi action going forward in the 21st century um and i just don't think that a besides maybe the Batman from 2022 has like really captured that tone that Christopher Nolan was able to kind of um, hone in the dark Knight. Yeah. I don't, I yeah. don't think like, anybody's like the done dark, it. The, the dark Knight is definitely a moment, but the craziest part is that the dark Knight was the second, what well, was one of the second biggest superhero movies that year. Because also that year, 2008, was Iron Man. Yeah. And Iron Man is also another blueprint of the modern superhero movie. You know, starting the MCU and what we now know is superhero movies. Like, if it wasn't for both of those movies, like, we wouldn't get certain movies that we love or hate and stuff. Like, like they, they are to blame for what has happened these past, you know, decades. But it is also, like, they are to praise for like you said like with the batman and stuff like how we get things like that where it's director focused first yeah Yeah. and i think that uh the really bad superhero movies that come out are not i don't think we should blame 
the dark night for something like that i think we should just blame people who are interested in profit over you know quality and not no, focusing the bad, yeah. on not focusing on you know a director a specific filmmaker just focusing on let's just churn out this this new thing like over and over again so yeah yeah um, the bad the bad ones i just point to iron man that, yes, that, that's exactly. what i was trying to say exactly <laughs> yeah. all, right. all right uh who's next me okay. i believe so my third pick is powwow highway um deep cut deep cut here we go so um powwow highway is really the first one of the first if not the first movie made by native americans for native americans um it is it's a classic within the communities um Smoke Signals is more popular. However, you don't get Smoke Signals without Powwow Highway. Um, I think for that reason alone, it deserves to be talked about and remembered. Like, you don't see a lot of indigenous cinema. It's growing more, but, like, this is where it started, and it starts out so well. Powwow Highway is a great movie. It's a road trip movie, but it's just got... There's a there's a lot of elements of that movie that if you know the history they have like a lot more significance. If you don't know, it kind of you might it might just come off as like a pretty generic road trip movie, but it's it's special. It's special. Okay, I have never seen Powwow Highway. Neither um, have I. <laughs> I'm looking at um, Letterboxd right now. I think this is probably one of the more obscure picks. So for our audience, I just wanted to kind of go through a synopsis. Two Northern Cheyenne men take a road trip from Montana to New Mexico to bail out the sister of one of them who has been framed and arrested in Santa Fe. On the way, they begin to reconnect to their spiritual heritage. It has a 3.5 rating on Letterboxd, which is pretty good. So... um, I'm adding it to the watch list. It's so good. It is. You can watch it on the uh, Criterion channel. That's probably the only place you can actually watch it. Powell Highway is really hard to come by. I will say that. Do you have the that is, physical um, copy? That is the only place there, there, to watch it. There isn't really. I, you can find physical copies, but you're looking, you're looking for like eBay postings that are like $50 for a DVD. Wow. It was printed like one time officially. Bummer. So, but that's, that's just the reality of I wish I could speak a little bit more cinema, to that, but, but I haven't seen it. It's, um, yeah, I think with more, with more indigenous directors getting bigger releases, mm-hmm. I think we'll start to see like a more of an appreciation for like this, like indigenous cinema yeah. circle, yeah. but. And maybe Powell like Highway, a reprint. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a fun movie. It's great. Mm-hmm. It's got a lot of like really, um, poignant dialogues in it like the very beginning of the movie is um so, like a big oil tycoon trying to like pitch a pipeline to the reservation and Ooh. then like one of the like one of the main characters walks into this meeting and is just like so he says something along the lines of um like all all you've done is take all of our land and now you're trying to convince us that it's going to be better if we sell you the rest of it. So 
it's got it's like full of it's Oof. it's fantastic and it's 1989 like yeah. all right i'm excited about it i uh um, just finished reading Killers of the Flower Moon, and ugh, man, it just, I mean, if you've never read it, we, there's a movie coming out this fall directed by Martin Scorsese. It is, um, it is a tough story to tell, so I am interested to see how he kind of runs with it, but, um, yeah, yeah, man, interesting. we need, we need more native stories indigenous stories from indigenous speak you know people so you know coming from martin scorsese it's like yeah that's cool you know that's probably the most prolific filmmaker of all time but uh it would be nice if we could you know hear from yeah yeah i mean it's like it's like the yeah it's like the color color purple conversation yeah you know steven spielberg doing the color purple and everyone was like (laughs) yeah yeah, it's like like should Steven Spielberg do that? And you know, it's a good movie, and because it's Steven Spielberg. But then that's why I think they're remaking the Color Purple with right. you know, an all an all cast that that is represented like that. Yeah. So yeah. Me too. Okay, um, I'm gonna go next. Um, my third four favorite. Speaking of Steven Spielberg, <laughs> ooh, that was a really great. That was actually a really great segue into my third four Lincoln? favorite, which is a Steven Spielberg film. Um, I picked this movie for my four favorites because um, it's also something that I watched a lot as a child. Um, It came out when I was a child, and it is something that I watched often um, on VHS. And um, it's also something that I have revisited a lot as an adult. I have um, come back to it probably more than any other Spielberg movie. Uh, I just think it's a lot of fun. It has rewatchability, and that's why it's in my top four. It is Jurassic Park. Nice. Oh, baby. <laughs> yeah. I love this oh, yeah. movie so oh, much. Yeah. I think it's Spielberg's best film, um, and that's coming from somebody who just watched Schindler's List for the first time this year, and I was blown away by it. Um, but oh, Jurassic Park a, is just oh. so fun it is just uh like i think the word thriller is like the best word to attach to something like jurassic park it is so um it's it's an adventure horror it's so it's it's just a blast and it's so funny um my letterbox (laughs) picture is actually laura dern in the jeep um looking at the dinosaurs for the first time and it's iconic yeah when when sam neil has to like turn her head and like grabs her head like that's (laughs) that i that's so iconic um but yeah like she's hilarious like i love laura dern but like honestly the best part of this movie is jeff goldblum like that man jeff Jeff goldblum (laughs) i literally watched this the other day and i'm like man he is so good looking and he knows it like he is leaning into how hot he is and he had all the best lines like he kept you know i'm gonna i'm gonna actually look at my that is one um, big pile of shit yeah (laughs) um when he says like you know when he's in the car and the t-rex comes across the barrier for the first time and he's like 
um, he's like, man, I hate being right all the time. <laughs> it's just yeah. so uh, yeah, Gold, Goldblum, but Tasha, my girlfriend, knows, and some people know. Like Goldblum is my celebrity crush. He is my my hall pass. I tell people, <laughs> like, like oh he's just an enigma. I love the man. Like, like I just can't get enough of Jeff Goldblum. I yeah. love his interviews. They are so crazy. They are so wild. But that is Goldblum, and yeah, like Jurassic Park, Goldblum. Even like Independence Day, Goldblum. Yes. Like I love the, oh that God. that that Goldblum and yeah, the 90s Jurassic Park. Goldblum. Jurassic 90s Park Bloom. just also just like Specimen. has a banger cast too of side characters with yeah. Samuel, Jackson Samuel L. Jackson and Wayne Knight. Samuel L. Jackson comes away with the most iconic line of Jurassic Park, which is "Hold on, hold to, your on to your butts," um, and he's just this minor. <laughs> He has this minor and, role and, in this huge Spielberg movie, and he says, "Hold on to your Knight. butts." I say, "Hold on to your butts." On a I say, "Hold on to your basis. butts" all the time. <laughs> <laughs> and Wayne Knight of the, you know, Dachshund, Dachshund, see Dachshund, see Dachshund. Uh uh uh, you didn't say the magic word. Nah uh uh, you didn't say the magic word. Yeah, Jurassic, <laughs> Jurassic Park is what I describe as a comfort movie. Yes. it is a movie that I put on. Yes, constantly. I, I I have the 4K. Like I yes. love the movie. It is something I also watched a lot as a kid. I had the VHS yes. from my dad, and yeah, like it. That whole franchise is one of my favorites. And yes. T- Tasha, my girlfriend, loves dinosaurs as well too, and she <laughs> we both love that franchise. Yeah, um, that's why it's on my top four because it definitely shows my adventurous side. You know, I like to have a lot of fun when I watch movies. It's not just Whiplash, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Alrighty. So for my fourth film, it brings everything together. It is the SpongeBob SquarePants movie. <laughs> <laughs> it's the SpongeBob SquarePants together. movie is probably my favorite animated movie. Uh, I talk about this not not a lot, but just a little a little often of just how uh, the SpongeBob movie is my favorite birthday that I've ever gotten. My birthday falls around oh, nice. uh, Thanksgiving. And with that, like I have to sometimes miss my birthday parties as a kid. Cause I have to, you know, wait for my friends and stuff to come from family vacation and things. So it was like the first birthday that I actually got to see like a movie, like roughly like on my birthday with all my friends and stuff. But other than that, like, it's just the Spongebob movie is like, like, I was a TV kid and the Spongebob, like, show is, like, my favorite show. And so it just, yeah, it brings, like, everything and, like, my whole personality, like, together. I watched the Spongebob movie one time when I was in, I mean, when did that movie come out? What year is that? Um, Spongebob movie is... What is so it, I was like gonna 2000? say four. It has to be like when I was, or five. Yeah, early 2000s, right? 2000, yeah, 2004. Okay, yeah. So yeah. I was in middle school, probably. Definitely saw it with my friends, but I haven't revisited it since. But I used to love SpongeBob, and it's a lot of fun. Yeah, like um, what my, is your like 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 the thing the uh, thing about the SpongeBob movie is that like the lore of it is like I. 
it was supposed to be the season finale of SpongeBob. Steven Hilberg created SpongeBob. Right. And then with that, he wanted to make the movie and wanted to end it from there. And Nickelodeon's like, no, you're not, because SpongeBob is our biggest moneymaker and cash cow. <laughs> you are con- continue making SpongeBob. Yeah. And so after that, so it was up to season three. So after season three is where people say, like, true SpongeBob heads say where the show fell off. Even though, like, Steven was still, <laughs> yeah, Sponge even though Steven was still, like, a producer on season four forward and stuff. But, like, there definitely is somewhat of a quality drop. I don't really see it as much. I still like season four or five in roughly six. But, like, yeah, like, the first three seasons are, like, great. And even, like, the movie. And to me, I'm like, it just feels like, a, like, honestly, it does feel like a perfect ending to Spongebob in a way even though they still keep making yeah. more and i'll keep watching them <laughs> yeah yeah um i it's been a minute since i've watched the spongebob movie but i will say this i constantly want to rewatch the spongebob movie yeah like i remember we need to have maybe like an episode a spongebob <laughs> episode because it feels yeah. like it feels like we're due for a rewatch for, for you yeah. guys I, I remember really liking the Spongebob movie when I was a kid. I thought it was oh, so it's funny. still funny. Um, <laughs> it's, got, it's got so many classic lines. Did you see my butt? What would it be, fellas? <laughs> Buster or ketchup? <laughs> all the time. <laughs> it's David Hasselhoff. It's, yeah, I can't, I can't knock the SpongeBob SquarePants movie pick. That's a solid. That that's is, a, solid that's a good one. one. That's a very fun one. Big it definitely spot. contrasts like your Christopher Nolan tone with just silly, goofy SpongeBob humor. Um, so I think it kind of rounds it out really yeah, well. Yeah, because like, like yeah. even like now as an adult, uh, like it's also one of my comfort movies. I just put on like whenever I'm having a bad day or and stuff, and it's just something where like even like the message of the film of like there's always like you're always a kid at heart and it doesn't matter that you have to be a quote-unquote adult you can always still be a kid and it's just like it just resonates with everybody and it's so good and the fact that mr krabs wants a crusty crab too because you know money (laughs) money (laughs) (laughs) i love it why did you make a second why'd you make a second crusty crab (laughs) money right next to the original by the way Yeah. Um, so for to overview, we have for Connor, we had Scott Pilgrim, The Prestige, The Dark Knight, and SpongeBob SquarePants movie. Wow. Honestly, that's a that is a very fitting for for who you yeah. are as a person. So, I agree. I don't. Fun fact, everyone. Uh, Connor and I have never met. Not, not, not yeah, not in person. <laughs> not in person. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but um, Freddie and Connor are good friends from college. So roommates. Um, we were introduced <laughs> in that way. Yeah, we were roommates. We were roommates. <laughs> oh my god. Oh my god, they were yeah. roommates. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Vinecast, thank you. Okay. We're, we're, re- we're rerouting. All right. Um, okay, so my fourth movie in my top four is uh, Satin Tango, which this mm. is my, like, this is my admittedly pretentious mm. pick, but I'm going to roll with it. <laughs> I see. Um, 
yeah pushes up glasses <laughs> have you seen um so satin tango is a it's a movie that's seven and a half hours long jesus um that being said it's not a movie that is it's a movie that's hard to recommend but when i when i was watching it um it legitimate it legitimately felt like i was watching something that was wildly different from everything i've ever seen it would be very easy to make a seven and a half hour long movie that is really simple and ends up being overly boring because it's like you know let's just we'll just you know we'll just do a bunch of takes that are really long and granted satin tango is full of takes that are really long but the thing that really struck me immediately off the bat is how heavily cinematography is used in in like contexts that I haven't seen before because the shots are so long you get these you get these shots where the composition will change like 3 or 4 times over the course of a shot that's like 4 minutes long and so you get these individual shots that are almost a whole story within themselves where it'll start like there's a shot where it starts with two people arguing in an alleyway and then it moves into a house and then it pans through the house and then moves back out the back side of the house and you're just looking at like pigs in mud the movie itself is very depressing so this is this is very like heavily themed for the movie but it's uh, it's just crazy to me how master masterful of a filmmaker Bellatar is. And because his movies are so niche, whether it be Satin Tango with its length or something like the Turin Horus, which is one of his last movies that's just like really heavy. They're all very depressing. But Bellatar as a person is this hilarious like does not care at all person he just is like that's the movie i wanted to make that's why it's like that what do you want from me i can't say i've seen it i can't say that i would (laughs) willingly watch something that is seven and a half hours long um maybe i would over a course of like four days um I would prefer like a like a TV show version of that. Um, or but, get um, you know, it's, you know, you. Yeah. Just, yeah. Just <laughs> you, like your eye, be, like your eyelids yeah. are just, just like sit you down open. Yeah. So I, you know, I appreciate prestige. Uh, filmmaking like that um so i can't say i would put it on my watch list yeah. or i would want to have a have a triple feature episode with that movie um but like, i mean that movie is a triple feature exactly i would just be like the whole month of like yeah, yeah we're gonna be in the middle of like winter and we're gonna be depressed and we're just gonna be like all right the first two hours of satin tango this week yeah second two it, hours. it's one of those things where because it is so vastly different than any other movie that I've seen and it's executed as well as it is. It's, it's just like a different beast entirely when you finish watching it. Like you, it's like you're, 
you feel a connection to these characters that you've like sat and watched for hours <laughs> on yeah, end. Yeah, you basically just got like, to know them. Yeah. Yeah, have their lives slowly unravel. So it's it's unlike anything I've ever seen. That's why it's on my top four. Very good. Okay. I'm going to round out the um, the picks. Actually, let's review your, your four. Yep. So I did The Iron Giant, Speed Racer, Pow Wow Highway, and Satin Tango. Very good. All right. So I'm going to share my last uh, four favorite film. Um, this fourth film, I like to kind of interchange it with certain filmmakers. Um that I want to highlight. So sometimes it's Greta Gerwig and sometimes it's Christopher Nolan or sometimes it's uh, Paul Thomas Anderson and sometimes it's, um, you know, who, you know, whoever I'm feeling that day. But one of my favorite directors ever is Wes Anderson. Uh, I haven't decided if he's my favorite. Uh, I like to, you know, I like, I don't, I, I don't like to choose who my favorite film excuse me, filmmaker is, but he's, he's up there. And, um, so my fourth is what I, what I say to be is Wes Anderson's best film, which is the Grand Budapest Hotel. Okay. Um, it is, uh, it is fun, but it's also impeccably filmed (laughs) with, um, what what sets Anderson apart for me is his set design and his practical effects and his um, just complete defiance of using any CGI whatsoever. Um, and just to just to reiterate, like a lot of a lot of Wes Anderson's films can be very visually oriented, but I think what makes the Grand Budapest Hotel so amazing is it's both the visual and the narrative that come together perfectly. And it's a great story and it's a, the performances are incredible. Ray Fiennes, who you may know as like Voldemort, um, (laughs) plays this, I mean, his character is hilarious, but also so poignant. And he has like these, these emotional touches that are so great. Um, so yeah, I, I really like Wes Anderson a lot. I think we're going to talk about him a little bit more today, but I wanted to showcase him as one of my favorite filmmakers in my top four. And I think, Freddie, you recently watched Grand Budapest Hotel, right? I did, yeah. So before um, Asteroid City came out, I was on a... I was on a mission (laughs) to catch up on... Yeah, Wes Anderson movies, because I was severely lacking. It was like a very big blind spot. Um, so one of the movies that I watched before that was The Grand Budapest Hotel, and I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed it. I think my favorite two of the ones that I watched, I didn't watch all of them, so don't hate me if I don't pick yours. Um, <laughs> but my favorite two are probably The Grand Budapest Hotel and The Darjeeling Limited. The Darjeeling is my second favorite Wes yeah. Anderson. I love that film. And I feel like it doesn't get talked nope. about as much, it but doesn't. I did genuinely, like, I really enjoyed that movie. Yeah, um, it doesn't. But the Grand Budapest Hotel, I do understand why people say that this is, like, the quintessential Wes Anderson movie. Yeah. Like, a lot of the, it seems like a lot of, like, the, the mainstays and things that people talk about with Wes Anderson are in 
the Grand Budapest Hotel. Yeah. And, like, you you kind of see that in, like, all of the movies he's put out past the Grand Budapest Hotel besides, like, the Darjeeling Limited. I would say that's probably, like, his biggest, like, step away from a lot of, like, the typical, like, Wes Anderson tropes. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is. It's so well done. It's really funny. Um, and... The thing that I, the thing that really surprises me with Wes Anderson that I really appreciate is he does have a lot of his visual flair and that's like the one thing people talk about. But I think that flair mixed with his ability to like blindside you with really powerful, like emotional His moments, writing is, is yeah, so good. That's like what really brings it all together. Yeah. Like that's what makes it feel real. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's like this, like, it's like this, like, dollhouse effect. And yeah. then it's like, oh, no, like, I'm going to crush you into pieces, actually. Yeah. Um, I, he has an uncanny <laughs> ability to kind of trick you into crying. Yeah. 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 The Grand, <laughs> sure. the Grand Budapest Hotel was another, like, like the prestige. Like, when I saw when I first saw it, when I missed it in theaters, uh, I remember seeing it on DVD. I was like, oh, this is like like oh my god movies can be like this like oh my god like like this yeah. is insane that was the first yeah. movie i saw of wes anderson it's so and and since then so unique yeah. and so stylish and nobody has really been able to like but, but with it. that it was like yeah like once when we saw asteroid city i i just remember reading letterbox reviews so people that follow that they're like yeah this is you know good but it's no you know like some of them were like it's not you know grand budapest hotel and after a while because i haven't seen it since like probably high school i'm like is it actually like that good like everyone says it's that good because my my favorite is the darjeeling limited and the royal tenenbaums i I really like the royal tenenbaums and also fantastic mr fox and so grand budapest has kind of been on the back burner of like rewatches and then yeah i just had to like rewatch it just to make sure and i'm like oh no yeah this is a masterpiece still (laughs) like (laughs) like it really is it really is a masterpiece and i really loved asteroid city I like really loved it. I put it pretty high on my Wes Anderson list because I thought it was incredibly uh, well made. It was very masterful, but it really took me for a ride. (laughs) Um, It's very complicated structurally, but then it's like, then, you know, when you realize what he's doing, it really hits home i cried a lot in asteroid city yeah i cheered when Um, jeff goldblum showed up so (laughs) yeah he's i mean we don't want to spoil it for anybody but jeff goldblum has a has a has a little guy role has a little guy i like spider-man no way home like stood up cutie when he showed up i was like i was like oh my god (laughs) yeah like i had my own yeah i had my own portal moment like the lady behind me was like shut up and i'm like hey it's jeff goldblum (laughs) Yeah. yeah So to recap, my favorite four are Whiplash, 101 Dalmatians, Jurassic Park, and the Grand Budapest Hotel. So um, let's move on because we've been talking a lot about movies, which is what we're going to do. We're going to take some time now to kind of talk about what we have been watching lately, what is on our watch list. And I think going forward, um, we'll probably start our show with our recently watched watch list discussion but for the sake of the podcast we really wanted to introduce ourselves to you and you know our taste in films um before we got into this discussion so 
Who would like to get us started? What have we been watching lately? What do we want to watch? What are we looking forward to coming out in theaters? Uh, yeah. Um, I, I can start. <laughs> um, just because I, I have two recently watched movies. One of them we're going to discuss a little bit more here in a second. But <laughs> um, the most recent movie that I watched is uh, Tokyo Drifter. Mm-hmm. Um, it is a Japanese Yakuza movie um it's part of it's part of the criterion collection um it is i enjoyed it it i would say it's probably like a solid like like three and a half to four stars just going off the bat it's got a lot it's like the big thing that it has going for it is it has this um visual style that's really uh it's like pretty avant-garde um so it's it's very colorful like very bright and colorful for this like gritty um like sort of gangster action movie um but there were definitely some parts where i found myself getting lost in like what was happening in the plot and looking at some of the behind the scenes stuff it seems like its significant re- significance relies a lot on like how different it was for a lot of other movies at the time, and the fact that it was very low budget as far as movies at the time go, coming from oh. studios. So, in that regard, um, I'll give it its <laughs> props. Cool. I enjoyed it, but I w- I wouldn't say that it was like. I wouldn't say that it's like a must see unless you're like really into like Japanese. Is it a must buy from the Criterion? Yakuza movies. I wouldn't say that it's a must buy from okay, the Criterion so either. Bar- Barnes it's and Noble. Enjoyable. It if you get the opportunity, a Barnes and Noble yeah. sale one. If you get the opportunity to watch it, yeah, that's how I got it. Barnes and Noble sale. It's just, it's a okay. It's a nice pickup, but I wouldn't necessarily say that it's. You got to rush out. Okay. It's a must watch. But I don't regret owning it. Ah, okay, for sure. That's good. Do you want to save? Do you want to save your other recently watched for our other discussion? Okay. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> All right. Uh, do you want to go sure, next? Sure. I guess. I guess I can. I can go. I got a bunch of rapid, rapid okay. fire ones to to go off of. All right. Like, uh, I, I, I've since we've last talked, I've been in the summer, and I was like, I like horror movies, so I've watched a lot of horror movies. I watched The Burning, uh, Sleepaway Camp, and Friday the 13th, all, like, slasher movies based on, like, a summer camp. Sleepaway Camp I did not like. Uh, The Burning I do like. It has, uh, what's his name from Seinfeld? George. George Costanza uh, in it. George (laughs) Costanza. A young uh, him in in that, and he's awesome. And then the Friday the 13th, it was an interesting ride to go from a franchise like that uh notorious for like being parodied of like oh it's just you know a franchise where you just see boobs and you know people get killed and surprisingly not a lot of boobs (laughs) in those movies like like not a lot of teenagers (laughs) having sex in those movies for being parodied so much about that i feel like the imitators like the burning and sleepaway camp and things that came out around the same time in the 80s probably you know like made that parody more effective but yeah with friday the 13th it was interesting uh one is a classic two is pretty good three 
is bad because it was made for 3D. Uh, 4 was great because it has a young Corey Feldman and uh, Chris McGlover in it. (laughs) Um, George McFly from Back to the Future fame. And then 5 is back to boring. And then 6 is uh, a masterpiece in horror. It's... And what are these that you're ranking? Uh, Friday the 13th. What, are the, what is the yeah, one through six? One through six. I've oh, only okay. seen one through six. And yeah, oh, okay. like, like six, six is only. crazy. Like, like, only. like by six, <laughs> six is where Jason lives. Friday the 13th, Jason lives. And it's because of the fact that every Friday the 13th, they have to kill the killer. And I say that because, you know, not all of them revolve around Jason. Uh, but by six, like they just have to keep bringing back jason and they have to find ways of doing it and six they lightning strike him in his grave to bring him back so it's like a zombified jason (laughs) that is killing people and it is awesome and i think six is also where they brought back tom savini a great vfx uh horror uh person that did like the famous dawn of the dead uh machete chop in the head effect and stuff so i believe he's he is in he does like a lot of cool special effects in that movie but yeah the front overall i enjoy the franchise it's a great like guilty pleasure i guess (laughs) of just like getting in the mood for halloween um but like i wouldn't recommend any of them probably other than the first two four and six like three three and five for a slog um but okay other than I can't say that I am, um, well, yeah, I guess, like, my horror is not my genre, um, but, um, you know, it's that time of year. My kind of Halloween movies are, are, like, Hocus Pocus (laughs) and, like, Halloween Town, like, Disney, like, um, (laughs) The Nightmare Before Christmas. Me and Tasha love Halloween. (laughs) It's our favorite holiday, and, yeah, we love our horror movies, like... And so with that, okay. like we watch Trick or Treat, The Blob, Insidious. I have those on there. Black Phone. All these are great movies. If you haven't seen them, go see them. And a one that was a first watch that is, that I can't highly recommend enough is Panic Room by David Fincher. Oh my God, is that movie such a great thriller of Jodie Foster being locked in a panic room while burglars Jared Leto as a burglar <laughs> breaking in to the house and things unfold from there. It is great. It's David Fincher like at his best. Uh can't highly recommend that enough. Uh, I first watched uh After Sun. That broke me. Oh, uh, broke you into a million yeah, pieces. Yeah, like that is a good movie. And then I recently went down a rabbit hole of Kevin Smith movies because that is a person that I had a huge blind spot for. So I watched all of the Viewerskew universe movies. Uh, basically, Kevin Smith made the MCU before the MCU happened. So from with movies like Clerks, Mallrats, Chasing Amy, Dogma, Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back, and, and so on, like all those movies take place in the same world. And uh, it's very interesting watching them back to back to back like that. Um, Connor, are all of these are all of these titles something you've watched? Like, how how many days, how many like weeks are you spanning with all of these? A titles? lot of these, ti- some of these were a month ago, but with the uh, Kevin Smith, that was just recently, like two weeks ago. Like, I just finished that. So, on average, how many how many titles do you watch like a week? Uh, 
believe Letterbox says potentially 10. Wow. 10 or so. <laughs> That's, that's a, a that's a good day. Yeah. That's yeah. so many. That's a good one. That is so but many. I try to stick to four it to slows, five a week. It slows down because I'm now playing uh, Starfield. <laughs> and so when I'm playing video games or get distracted <laughs> with other stuff, it does slow down a lot. Um, wow. Wow. But other okay. other than Kevin Smith, the big one that, that I, I can't talk about is Saw. I rewatched all of the Saw movies. And then I have stuff to say about those because it is very interesting rewatching saw in today's lens from the fact of like these movies are so like cop uh melodrama oriented that the only difference between saw and like a cis or ncis or law and order and stuff is that with those primetime day shows they don't show like how the victim got murdered where saw does and that's where, like, the torture porn type of stuff gets thrown around uh, out a lot. But I'm like, it's not as bad as people say it is, in my opinion, because I've seen a lot of horror movies. But, like, it's made, like, it's main like, every Saw movie is just mainly a thriller that's just about, like, who the Jigsaw killer is. <laughs> and it's kind of fascinating how the franchise just becomes, like, Fast and Furious of becoming a soap opera of itself and trying to out twist itself each movie that I just, I, I, I just blown away that now getting, now watching all of the franchise again, I'm so excited for saw X. Like <laughs> I can't wait to see. So will you be, will you be going to the theater this week to see saw yes. X? Yeah. Me and Tasha planning okay, on it. So... Can't wait to see what bad acting and, and terrible twists that will, will happen. But <laughs> we are so here right. for it. <laughs> So next week, Connor, you're going to be our Saw correspondent. (laughs) After you have seen Saw X, you're going to tell us what you think about it. And um, and you can kind of talk about your relationship with the franchise, because I will not be going to see that (laughs) film for any reason. Um, And I'm I'm looking forward to hearing your thoughts. Yeah, next week or the next two weeks or so when when I do see it, I'll I'll do it. And yeah, I could probably just spoil everything for you so you don't have to see these movies <laughs> well maybe don't spoil everything because we don't want to spoil no, not, it for not our the audience, new movie i'm talking about can... these older movies saw is from 2004 like okay. that is an old movie oh i know <laughs> so like i think at SpongeBob. this point if you don't SpongeBob know the twist in saw it's kind of <laughs> your point it's kind of the sixth sense twist you know <laughs> oh i i definitely know about yeah. saw i i uh, yeah it's not it's not my cup of tea <laughs> but um i i can appreciate but yeah but for for our audience, are fans, for our audience, you know? I watched them all. I have a saw ranking. My saw rankings go from top to bottom, from best to worst. It's saw, saw two, saw six, spiral, saw three, saw five, jigsaw, saw four, and then saw the final chapter, which was saw three D. Uh, so yeah, okay. Those are the, and I stand by those. <laughs> Okay. And I stand by it. Okay. So, Emma, what were your most recent watch? Okay. Um, as far as I go, like I said, I watch about... F- I, 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 st- I, stick, I stick to about four a week. I kind of have like a... I kind of have like a ritual on Fridays. I watch a film that I've never seen before that is older. So, I call it First Watch Friday. Um, and if you follow me on Instagram at Sin Emma. 
I um, post what I'm watching every Friday. And so <clears throat> for me, uh, on Friday of this past week, it was Big Hero 6. It was a big blind spot for me. I had never seen it before, but it was on my blind spot watch list this year. Um, and so I really enjoyed it. <laughs> um, so then on top of like my first watches, I like to um, watch at least a couple of new releases. I'm pretty up on uh, 2023 films that are coming out. So far this year, I've watched over 50 2023 films. Um, I try to keep up with, you know, weekly releases. So this week's films were um, No One Will Save You, which was a Hulu premiere. Um, It is a horror film. And it is an alien invasion horror starring Caitlin Dever. And that's really what drew me to the movie was Caitlin Dever. Um, if you know anything about her, she was the one of the stars of Booksmart. And um, I think she is quite a talent. And She's this incredible. movie should convince you that Caitlin Dever is a really good actor. Um, something very unique about No One Will Save You is that there's almost no dialogue at all. Mm. Um, And she really like holds your attention with just like her facial features and her, you know, physical acting. And um, yeah, I just think she did a really good job. I think the movie is really unique. And I think that uh, the ending, I'm not going to spoil anything, but the ending is very cool. Um, And the other new release that I watched this week, speaking of Wes Anderson, um, he had a short film that premiered on Netflix yesterday. By the way, yesterday was Freddie's birthday. Happy birthday, Freddie. We're recording today on September 28th. So when I say yesterday, wonderful Henry, wonderful story of Henry Sugar was Wes Anderson's short film that premiered on Netflix yesterday. It is 37 minutes long and I enjoyed it quite a bit. Um, It is based on Roald Dahl's short story, The Wonderful Story of Henry Sugar. On top of that, there are three more short films that are premiering on Netflix this week. From Wes Anderson. Um, Today was The Swan. I watched that um, already. Uh, Friday is, I believe, either Poison or The Rat Catcher. And then the last one is going to premiere on Saturday. And so four short films from Wes Anderson premiering on Netflix this week. Go watch those if you haven't. Um, It's not like you have to really dedicate a lot of time you can just turn it on and you know it's shorter than like a half an hour episode of something that you're watching on tv so um that's that's really good um and i'd like to just cap off with um my friend invited me to go see searching for sugar man at the Detroit Film Theater, which it premiered, it didn't premiere, but it's a 2012 film documentary. It won the uh, documentary Oscar that year. Um, it's about a folk singer named Rodriguez who is from Detroit, and it's a very, very interesting story about um, 
basically how he uh, was not successful in the United States, but he was incredibly successful in South Africa and he had no idea. And it's very, it's a very interesting, cool story about essentially finding him and getting him to South Africa where people love him. So um, he's a very interesting, cool guy. And it was a very interesting documentary. Oh, and his family was there. He recently passed away this August. And so that's why the theater um, was replaying it at the DFT. And I was able to see it in, and his family was in attendance which was really heartwarming, but I, I just, and it's not, it's not very long. I recommend you watching it. I think it's on HBO. Um, it's, it's a quick watch. It's a lot of fun. Um, so yeah, um, that's kind of where I'm at besides our big discussion. Um, because I will say we watched another film, um, together this week that we're going to talk about. Uh, Yeah. Real, real quick though. Um, I will say, Searching for Sugar Man is a great movie. I love it. I love it. Searching for Sugar Man. <laughs> um, I thought it was very interesting. Yeah, I, um, I really like the way that the story is presented throughout. That obviously the story is like wild and it's very, almost unbelievable. Yeah, it's it's that's a perfect way to put it. It's almost unbelievable the story, and so like the way it's presented to you in the actual documentary itself, I think really amplifies that in a positive like in a good way it amplifies that it's kind of wholesome story yeah yeah um but yeah i i also i was gonna say like uh, the caitlin denver uh stuff like she is incredible if ticket to paradise is also a good movie that she's in with george clooney like (laughs) like she is just a powerhouse actress like she's slowly becoming one of my favorite actresses she's great and then yeah with big hero six we kind we kind of recommended that movie to you <laughs> over text, and you did. Yes, you yeah. did. It was already on yeah. my watch list, but I did kind of reach out to you two, and I was like, "Okay, here's this like list of things I want to see today." And you both were like, "You haven't seen Big Hero Six? You need to watch that <laughs> yeah. right now." So I enjoyed it. Baymax is the cutest, most fluffiest robot that has ever existed in fictional um, film, and he is i just want to hug him big hero, yeah i want to also fist bump big hero six it's like it's my he, favorite disney movie like it's now become my favorite disney yeah. movie uh the brother storyline like really resonates with me having a six year younger like yeah. brother and but when that movie was coming out i was going to college and so it just hit like so hard <laughs> with that and then yeah like having yeah. superheroes like a part of it too i'm like oh my god like this movie's just made for me and and again, like why, like I'm just so <laughs> mad that Disney hasn't made a sequel to to that movie because right. it's just like you have such a world that that you can live in. Like I yeah, but yeah, it's it won it's perfect. Um, it won animated feature at the Oscars that year, so it, it it was critically received well. And yeah, but yeah, I was trying to say earlier, like I just want to give Baymax a fist bump so he can go. <gasps> He's so great. Ba-la-la-la. Hairy baby. <laughs> yeah, hairy baby. Yeah, drunk Baymax is my favorite. Oh, yeah. 
Okay. Not for, um, not for the tots. So now we're going to come to the point of the discussion, and it's called Godfather Talk. <laughs> um, oh, no. <laughs> because this group of people needs oh, no. to talk about Godfather. Um, if you don't know anything about the Godfather, which you might have been living underneath a rock, it is considered <laughs> one of the greatest films of all time by several uh, different um, media Conglomerates like, let's say, um, the American Film Institute currently has The Godfather uh, at number two. That I don't endorse the American Film Institute's list of the top 100 films of all time, but um, also Sight and Sound has it in the top 10, and there are several other big, um, I guess, big tent people yeah. that um, that would that would Every- say that. Francis Ford Coppola's 1972 film, The Godfather, is the greatest every film of actor, all time, which also leads us to... Every actor on Letterboxd that gets interviewed, it's always in their top four. <laughs> like, yeah. 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 Yeah, exactly. Um, but there's also a discussion about The Godfather Part Two, which um, is considered by a lot of people as the best sequel ever, as well as... Some people might say that The Godfather Part 2 is better than The Godfather, which we're going to talk about today. Um, But both of these films were uh, awarded heavily. Both of these films won Best Picture. Um, And so there is a discussion to be had. So um, let's get started because... (laughs) I saw The Godfather a long time ago, and but Connor just watched The Godfather for the first time pretty yes, recently. Yes, I did. And so we have we decided based on our reactions that this needs to be a podcast uh, discussion. So yes, I watched The Godfather because Emma has told me that The Godfather is up there with one of her favorite films. It's not in her top four, but you know, like not just Emma. Yeah. And, and so I was like, okay, like I should probably no, I watch really this movie <laughs> for, before the podcast so that we actually have something to talk about. It was that, and Freddie has always told me about 2001 A Space Odyssey, which I've also saw for the first time recently. Um, but with The Godfather, it has been something that I've has been looming over me for many years. Because anytime when you talk to people about movies, it always comes up, and I always say, no, I have not seen it. And everyone gives me the same spiel. How have you not seen The Godfather? It feels like every girlfriend that probably hasn't seen Star Wars <laughs> with boyfriends. They're like, you haven't seen Star Wars? It's- like, come on. But for me, I just don't gravitate towards gangster movies a lot. I don't really like gangster movies all that much. It's not a genre that I, you know, particularly watch all that much. And so it's always something in my back burner of like, I'll get to it when I get to it. Um, but because of how monumental, like Emma preferenced, this movie has been of it being the greatest movie of all time. It is nothing will ever beat it. This is arguably the best movie ever. All these things. It is such a high expectation. I'm like, all right, might as well give this a watch. And yeah, I watched it and I thought it was okay. <laughs> um <laughs> <laughs> I gave it. Uh, All right, you're gonna have yeah. to defend yourself. Here's my defense. Sir. I gave this movie uh, a five out of ten. My defense is that's 
and, criminal. And it seems pretty frowned upon. The thing is, is I... <laughs> Going into you need to be locked up, sir. Going into the Godfather, no one has ever explained what the Godfather is. Every time people say you have never sure. seen the Godfather, you should watch the Godfather. And I'm like, well, why is it important? And they go, because it's the Godfather. Okay. And I'm like, okay, that <laughs> gives me that gives me nothing. And that's been the conversation for years. Okay. Is no one I've never met someone talk to me about why. It's important. Why they love it. Why it's arguably the best movie ever. You hear people talk about why Lord of the Rings is the best trilogy of all time. And I understand why. Because of the fact of like, it's Peter Jackson's, you know, most incredible feat of cinema. It's, it, it shouldn't have like, it shouldn't have worked and it works so well. And so with The Godfather, I just don't hear those conversations because either A, because of how old it is, those conversations have already been talked about enough or just whatever. And so that's part of it. And then the other part is watching the movie. Uh, it kind of felt like <laughs> my second defense is watching the movie kind of felt like how I felt in English class where a teacher will say, we need to read this book because it's such a good book, but they take so long explaining why it's an important book. So when you're reading it, you're just, I struggled to read the book. Cause I'm like, I don't get this. Like, I don't get why we have to read Shakespeare. Like, sure. He's a good guy, but like, I, I I don't get this. Like, there's so many like modern stuff that could be you know taught better, get the same lessons. So it just I just struggled with the movie a lot because I'm like, I I think I get it, but at the same time I just don't. <laughs> okay, um, well you 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 make good points. Uh, your point about mafia films and your point about you know, the importance of literature compared to the importance of, like, classic cinema. So as a, you know, former educator, specifically former English teacher, um, I can kind of speak to that a little bit. But basically, the way I look at The Godfather, I, I don't gravitate towards mafia films either. But the way I look at The Godfather is that it's actually not a mafia film. It's not a mob movie. It's not a gangster movie. Uh, The the Godfather is a character study. And that character is Michael Corleone. And his fall from grace. Uh, And it takes a long time to get there. But the journey from the time that we first meet him at Connie's wedding and he tells Kay about the time that Luca Brazzi put a gun up to Johnny Fontaine's manager and said, either your signature or your brains will be on this contract. I made him an offer he can't refuse. And he tells Kay that for the first time. And he's sitting in his like prestige um, army uniform. And he says, that's my family, Kay. That's not me. Yeah, and that's when we meet Michael, and then he sh- he kills Captain McCluskey and Salazzo, and then he goes to Italy, and then he comes back, and he is essentially taking the reins. He comes back after his brother dies, and he's essentially taking the reins of the the family business. And you know, there's a lot of things we can say to like what caused him to go from that's my family, Kay, that's not me, to killing a cop and killing 
uh, the, the leader of another family and then fleeing to Italy, which basically starts his descent into becoming the Don. Uh, but that's what makes, to me, that's what makes The Godfather okay. a masterpiece. It is done so well. Al Pacino is <laughs> incredible the way that he plays it. Um, and Marlon Brando obviously won the Oscar for this film. Yeah. Um, in which he famously had um, a Native American woman accept the Oscar on his behalf, which I think was a pretty cool thing that he did. But I think I think El Pacino is this movie, and Marlon Brando is the title character. But the point is that Michael becomes the Godfather. Yeah, like that last shot yeah. of Kay asking him. Did you do this? Did you kill Carlo? And he just lies to her, to her yeah. face. And she leaves the room, and that last okay. shot of the door closing and those people kissing his hand is like, it, it gives me chills just thinking I'm glad, about it. Yeah. yeah, it's like a, oh, it's like a very, like, you're you're watching somebody who up to the up to the point of the beginning of the movie has done everything in their power to not be this person that he inevitably becomes and so like over the course of the movie you're just watching you're just watching what almost feels inevitable just take place and yeah. it's it's a classic. Yeah, yeah I'm glad. <laughs> it's, a, it's a masterpiece for a reason. I'm, I'm, I'm glad we're talking about it. What, what you said was what I needed. Uh, what, what I'm going to do is I'm, I yeah. wrote notes. I have a notebook that I got for the podcast um, <laughs> just so I can do this. So when we do our movies and our picks, I can write notes and things and, and talk about them. So I wrote notes. I just want to give you some of the highlights of what I my thought process watching this movie was. <laughs> um, just starting the movie, yeah. I see like the influence that this movie has on pop culture and just oh in yes. Like, <laughs> yes like like yeah. just like i just see and finishing the movie i feel the same way where it's like oh my god like anything after the godfather every movie is doing the godfather like like any movie that i can think of that i like it's like oh that has god like, like guy who only sees the godfather like we oh, would this not reminds have, me of the godfather <laughs> we would not have we would not have the Sopranos if it wasn't also for something the I haven't seen. But that is also back to I just don't care for Bob stuff. But <laughs> um, but but with that, it's like like something like The Dark Knight, like the rise of uh, like seeing Harvey Dent, the fall of Harvey Dent and stuff, and like oh like that is also going to mm-hmm. the Long Halloween, and the Long Halloween came out after The Godfather, and it is reading the Long Halloween and now looking thinking back to the Long Halloween, I'm like oh they're just doing somewhat of the godfather because <laughs> that whole comic is about <laughs> the, the the mobs in gotham city it's about falcone and and all these mm-hmm. mobs and mobsters and it's just yeah. like oh my god and so yeah then then i put uh one of the funny ones i was like holy shit the wine pitchers that's insane like having a beer pitcher but yeah. just wine i'm like because they know they're gonna drink that yeah. much and i'm like that's italian yeah, i'm like that is <laughs> that is crazy but after a while uh, I think they would take that. Uh, they would take offense to that. They would want me to say Sicilians. <laughs> but after a while, I put 40 minutes in and I'm starting to feel, you know, how I feel about watching these movies. You know, it's starting to get boring, whatever. And then immediately I wrote a note. Okay, never mind. They just shot The Godfather. 
<laughs> they brought exactly. they brought me back in. I'm like, holy shit, where's this movie going? Yeah. yeah. And then like I'm like, okay, it's yeah. pretty interesting, you know, all that kind of stuff. And then I put yeah, uh, I had to pause it, and I'm like, again, I'm getting bored. I I had to pause it because I had to go to the bathroom. I'm like, okay, getting bored again. Note next. Holy shit, they just blew up that girl. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, Apollonia. Yeah, Come on. so like every time I felt like, ah, like where's this movie going? Like they're taking so long. Something would happen. Something big would happen. I'm like, whoa! Like where's this movie going? So then, yeah, it's, and yeah. then I put yeah. the Las Vegas scene was awesome. Yeah. Like that that whole sequence was cool. But then, yeah, at the end, I wrote oh, yeah. what I kind of said, where it's like, I'm kind of like. Like, I think the movie is average. I don't think it's as much of a masterpiece. It kind of had a huge mountain to uh, get over for me. But I did write in my notes. I'm like, if someone like Emma or just people explain it to me, I can't see this getting more stars after another rewatch and stuff. And going into the movie yeah, with that context. I think context. you should. And... I think you should maybe give it another watch yeah. with the lens of looking at it as a character introspective instead of like, oh, it's just the mafia killing each other. Because, um, again, like so with how people, be... yeah, with how people talk about it and stuff, I'm like, okay, whatever. I did get that by the end. I did understand. I'm like, oh, this is just this is just Al Pacino rising to power, which is cool. And it does make me yeah. excited to see what part two is um, and, and stuff. Right. Which we're, that's a great segue for us, yeah. Um, yeah. Connor, because Freddie and I just recently watched The Godfather Part 2 for the first time with uh, my husband Cameron. We've been wanting to watch The Godfather Part 2 for a long time. The Godfather is actually something that my husband and I have in common in terms of, well, actually, he was the one that got me to actually read the Mario Puzo book, uh, which the movie is based on, and the book is incredible. There's a lot of things in the book that aren't in the film. Uh, but then, you know, you watch the film, and it's just, it's just meticulous. It is so... Um, purposeful and and well-made um so anyway we we both love the godfather so much but we've been really holding out on part two for a long time because we're like oh we've heard so many good things about it we don't like we've heard like oh it's better than part one um things like that so anyway we watched it for the first time this week and i don't know freddie do you think it surpasses the first one um It's honestly, it's kind of hard for me to say um, because I'll be honest, it has been a while since I've seen the first Godfather movie. So I feel like there's parts of it that I don't necessarily remember in order to say like, this is a direct like comparison. Um, but I we will say we won't spoil too much since I don't think Connor's seen it. Well, also, yeah, I will say it is yeah. definitely on. I will say it is definitely on the same level as the first one, as far as like production goes yeah. and like engagement with the story. Like yeah. it doesn't feel like like everything that unfolds feels natural compared to like the story of the first one. It doesn't feel like they're necessarily. I just to, want a preference too. I like force anything oh, yeah. to up the ante. I just want yeah. a preference too that I bought the Blu-ray. Uh, copies of The Godfather, like the the one that comes in a pack, it only comes with The Godfather Part 1 and Part 2 Restoration, like the Francis Ford Coppola Restoration, and then Part 3. It just says Part 3. And I know out there, there's the Coda, yeah. I think it's called like Godfather Coda, which is Part 3, 
which I think is another recut of the movie. So, like, I know there's many, like, cuts of this movie, um, just like Francis Ford Coppola loves to do, like Apocalypse Now (laughs) um, and stuff. But... I can't... I can't say yeah. that we're gonna be watching part three anytime soon, yeah. just because I I, I know I, I'm know just of, I'm just of people's opinions about it. I just it, don't but, know if there's um, any other cuts you know, of we, part one and part two out there. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. <laughs> oh yeah, I'm not so, really sure either. Just, but yeah, but yeah. Um, I, as somebody who I guess the most recent time that I've seen The Godfather was about a year ago because I show it. I, sh- I you know it was part of my curriculum in my film study class. Um, I should have joined and I've watched it several (laughs) times. So I kind of, I kind of, you know, I have a good idea, but I don't think from what I can tell, I don't think part two surpasses part one for me. I think it's a great sequel. Um, I think it, I think it's a great continuation of Michael's story mixed with kind of like a prequel of, uh, Vito's story starring Mm -hmm. Robert De Niro. And I thought Robert De Niro was a great, did a great job. But I'm not sure if maybe it's trying to tell two stories at once and it maybe should have either just been a Vito origin story or just been a continuation of Godfather Part 2 because it just feels a little... Um, like, I, I, I was engaged. I was interested because I love those characters. But, like, yeah, I... Um, I don't. I think I thought it was a fantastic sequel, but I don't think it's better than the first. I think, arguably, um, I would. I, I'm wondering if a lot of the people that do say that it overtakes the first one are people that are one, just really big fans of the story in general. So then it's almost like they feel like they're getting more story because they are getting these two stories like a like a sequel and a prequel at the same time um but like objectively like from a filmmaking standpoint it it's that that is a lot more to juggle than what you're doing in the first one and so it's harder to execute that like to the level that the first movie's executed in um so i'm thinking that that might be where a lot of the people that say it actually surpasses the first one i think it's great but I, I, think, I, I don't know if it necessarily... To its credit, I think it balances yeah. the two storylines. And they, they really, like, the editing is really well. Like, whatever's happening in Michael's story, mm-hmm. they kind of parallel it with, with what's happening in Vito's story. Yeah. And so, I, I mean, I think that part is or, interesting. Um, or do so, you, yeah. The Godfather. Or do you think, like, a follow-up question to that. Do you think that people are also saying that it's the best sequel because from... The, the other conversations that people gave to me about The Godfather that's always been like somewhat of a comeback is that everyone says, oh, it's The Godfather, part one, part two, but they brush aside three. It always seems three is the black sheep and is not like the best like movie. And do you think that it's because people watch three and they're like, oh, that one's bad. So I actually like two a lot more than that. Yeah, I don't know. Um, I... I don't know what people's yeah. opinions are then, you know, because this was in the 70s. Because I, so. I feel like that's the same thing with the Dark Knight. Like, I love the Dark Knight trilogy. It's one of my favorite trilogies. But I do see people's complaints about the Dark Knight Rises. And hence why, like, I think a lot of people like the Dark Knight a lot more. And especially more than Batman Begins. I'm yeah. a, so it's just what... 
I'm a I'm a rises I, I, So am I. But but it's just I, like I I can see I, like I can see the arguments of like why people Knight. are sour on that movie, and then just because they're sour on that movie, and they just watched The Dark Knight, they're like, well, The Dark Knight's the masterpiece. Yeah. So I it, it's it's an interesting yeah. conversation versus like yeah. again like something like Lord of the Rings where like it feels like Two Towers is always left out of the conversation of what's the best movie because either people like Fellowship or Return of the King. Those are always those conversations. No, I like Two Towers yeah. the most. I'm, I feel like I'm always like a contradictory yeah. person. But um, if you're uh, if you're a uh, if you're listening to this and you're a you're a Godfather Part Two stan, um, let us know. Yeah, let us know. We'd we'd like to hear your comments because we're not really sure why people put it above Godfather. So um i think that can wrap up our godfather talk i think that was great um we're we're gonna we're gonna wrap up yeah uh and talk about uh talk about our our upcoming episodes um so we're gonna get into october pretty soon we're recording this and it is september 28th so if you're listening to this and it's already october welcome to spooky season Um, it is spooky time best time of the year our monthly theme for October, the next three weeks, we're going to be watching spooky movies, and uh, we're going to start with Connor's pick, and then Freddy's will be in a couple weeks, and then my pick will be in a couple of weeks, and then we will wrap up the end of October with a discussion of all three of our films and how they can uh, make a good triple feature, what themes are connected between the three of them, and... Um, and yeah, so uh, Connor, let us know what your pick is. What what should you be watching this week in preparation for our next episode? My pick for a spooky movie is that uh, there's a bunch that I love and things, but this one I recently picked up on physical media, and it's been a minute since I've seen it, and it's 2008's Cloverfield. Uh, I picked up the 4K nice. steelbook of it, the Lionsgate steelbook, which is gorgeous and i can't wait to watch it in 4k um but just also just uh you watch a movie that i that i love i love found the found footage subgenre in horror and cloverfield has just always been a movie that i go back to every every once in a while because i always forget because i'm always watching either halloween or nightmare on elm street and all these other classics or scooby-doo and the ghoul school um <laughs> but uh but, but with it, it's like, yeah, Cloverfield is great. It's directed by Matt Reeves, who did the Batman and the uh, latter half of the Planet of the Apes movies, uh, produced by J.J. Abrams. Uh, and yeah, it should be it should be a great conversation. Next week, we're going to hear all about it. We're looking forward to uh, talking about it. If you are going to be watching along with us, make sure you watch along before... Um, I guess the next time that we will be posting our episode, but we'll be recording uh, this time next week. So uh, watch it and be ready to listen. And that's the end of our podcast. I hope that you've enjoyed listening. Stick with us. We're just getting started. Thank you. We'll see you next week. Bye. Bye.